be with you. And also with you. We worship the Lord, our Savior, who gives us clean pleasures in which to rest. The Lord, our God, leads us beside still waters. God, the Redeemer, restores our souls. Even when our way has danger, we will not fear, for our God walks beside us. Our cups are overflowing with blessings, and goodness and mercy go with us all days of our lives. And we shall dwell in God's house forever. Praise be to the God of a constant love, now and eternal. God, we come before you as your children to worship and seek your guidance during this time of uncertainty in our lives. Help us to keep our eyes focused on you. Strengthen our faith so that we feel the comfort of the Holy Spirit's presence near us. Assure us again and again that no matter what this chaotic world throws at us, we will be all right because you are with us. As we continue our worship, guide our thoughts in such a way that would be pleasing to you. Amen. Welcome to the worship of God at Northminster on this, the fourth Sunday in the sacred season of Lent. The church's annual purple path to spiritual depth is always a steep and narrow way, but never more so than this Lenten season when we are kept apart from one another at the very moment in all of our lives when we most need, yearn, long, and ache to be together. But while there are a dozen of us here to offer the live stream, one imagines that there are many who have joined us through the live stream, all of whom we welcome into this hour. If you can see the order of worship, which is posted on the church's website, 
Please join us when we sing the hymns, pray the Lord's Prayer, respond to the scriptures with thanks be to God, and say together and also with you. To our children, we want to say that we especially miss seeing your faces and hearing your voices. Soon, in a few weeks or several weeks, we will all be back in this wonderful space together. In the meantime, we invite you to say those and also with yous in your outside voice so that maybe we can hear you all the way here inside Northminster's sanctuary. And speaking of children, the rose on the altar is here today to welcome Cora McVeigh DeMarsico. We join John and Brenna Clark DeMarsico Judy Clark and all of Cora's extended family in welcoming Cora to their family, God's world, and our church. Our prayer for this most unusual Lord's Day is our hope for every ordinary Lord's Day, that all of us, the few within these walls and the many beyond these walls, will find in the sounds and silences of this hour of worship some of the comfort and courage we need for the weak and the world which awaits us all. Hear now the lessons of Scripture, which the common lectionary has placed in our path for the fourth Sunday in the sacred season of Lent. First, a reading from the most familiar of the Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord makes me lie down in green pastures. The Lord leads me beside still waters. The Lord restores my soul. The Lord leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. And now our second lesson, a reading from Ephesians. 
For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. So live as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what some people do secretly. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, sleeper awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our worship continues this morning as it does every week at this moment, with a time of silence during which we have the opportunity to draw near to God and confess our sins. Every waking moment of the last week has threatened to be filled by developing information concerning COVID-19. Closures, infections, social distancing, economics, even toilet paper, all the moments that could have been filled with silence to edify our spiritual journey, filled with anxiety-inducing information. In the moments to come, may we lay aside just for a moment all that has filled our silences this week and draw near to God to confess our sins, trusting that God will forgive us and be our comfort and strength. So now, in whatever space you find yourself, still your mind, calm your thoughts, and allow yourself to be enveloped in holy silence and draw near to God. Hear and believe these words from the book of Joshua. Be strong and courageous. 
Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you may go. My sisters and brothers in Christ, it is on the strength of these words, on behalf of the church, and in the name of Jesus Christ that I say to you, rejoice, your sins are forgiven. God of the green pastures and still waters, of right paths and the darkest valleys, of the rod and staff, of the table and presence, of anointing and overflowing, of goodness and mercy. From near and far across this city, this state and beyond, we have paused to do in our separate spaces that which we long to do together in this space, to be together, to worship you together. But God, we are not present together in this space, and we do not yet know when we will be again, and it hurts to be apart. We miss the hugs of our family of faith, feeling your embrace and the arms wrapped around us. We long to shake hands and bump fists, for we are an incarnational people, and we often express our care, concern, and connection to and with one another with these small gestures, small gestures which now by their absence seem much larger. We long to sit in classrooms and alcoves throughout our church with our sisters and brothers, to see and be seen, to hear and be heard. But for now, Lord, the ways we can best care for each other, for our family of faith, for our city and our state, is to take a pause from all of those things which make up the closeness of our togetherness. We grieve this time of social distance. Even as we grieve, God, let us not lose sight of the opportunity we have before us. Many in our community have been forced to slow down, to stay at home, to take a break. Help us to find creative ways to extend the warmth of your embrace in new ways. Let us continue on this path that has been carved before us, not casting aside our incarnational ways of doing ministry, but finding new ways to express our care, concern, and connection. And let us not fail to see and be seen, to hear and be heard, for perhaps now more than ever, we need to notice those among us who are vulnerable. And Lord, as we grieve that from which we must pause, let us also be ever thankful for those who are working even harder without any pause to sustain life. Doctors, nurses, technicians, hospital administrators and staff, grocery store employees, pharmacists and scientists, emergency response teams, teachers, government leaders and employees, 
Bless all of these, Lord, and those whose work continues unseen and unnoticed. We lift these words to you, O God, in the name of Jesus, who taught us to live like that and to pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen.
You may remember from last week that the gospel lessons for last week, this week, and next week are the longest readings prescribed by the lectionary. You may also remember that Chuck read last week's passage in his fast voice. I've worked all of my professional life to slow down in the pulpit because I've been told by every preaching and communications professor that I've ever had, and by some of you, that my public speaking voice is too fast. So today, I will give you my regular voice. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. Jesus's disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, Jesus spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then the man went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen the man born blind before, as a beggar, began to ask, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, it is he. Others were saying, no, but it is someone like him. The man born blind kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? The man born blind answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is the man called Jesus? The man born blind said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been, been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put mud on my eyes. Then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man said, He is a prophet. Some of the leaders of the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But we do not know how it is that now he sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. 
Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of some of the leaders of the Jews, for they had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. The man born blind answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? The man born blind answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but God does listen to one who worships him and obeys the will of God. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man who made me see were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered the man born blind, You were born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found the man born blind, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. The man born blind said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped Jesus. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin, but now that you say we see, your sin remains. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
May the peace of our Lord be with you. Who sinned, this man or his parents? How were your eyes opened? How did a man who is a sinner perform such signs? Is this your son who you say was born blind? How did Jesus, what did Jesus do to you? You were born entirely in sin and you are trying to teach us? The questions of the community in this morning's gospel give us a glimpse into their fear. If blindness isn't caused by the sin of the man or his parents, then by what or whom is it caused? If the one who heals on the Sabbath, a sinner, can heal, then why can't those who have done what is necessary to forgive their sin not? Jesus' actions have flipped the community's understanding of their world upside down. They have lost their carefully crafted, centuries-old understanding of how the world works. They have lost their control and been left with fear. Perhaps now, more than ever, we understand their position. Over the last few weeks, our lives have been changed in a systemic way. With each passing day, any control we might have had has slipped away. In the last week, we have had to rethink how we worship together, how we protect ourselves from disease, how we work, how we educate our children, how we feed ourselves, how we create community for ourselves and those we love, how we get our daily allotment of exercise, how we do so many things that were familiar to us just last week. We have had to rethink, and we have had much about which to worry. We worry about those who are sick, those whom school keeps fed and safe, those who are immunocompromised, those who are most isolated, those who provide health care, and those who have little access to it, those who have lost income and work, and those who already lived close to the margins. Our fears are real, and as one wise person I know has said, in this moment of uncertainty and loss, it seems honest, healthy, and wise, and right to name and mourn that which we have lost. It would be simple and even understandable for us to live out of our fear in the midst of this pandemic. And yet, we follow the light of the world, who calls us to be God's redemptive people in the world. We are people who live an abundant life in relationship with God and we are called to live out of that love. Last evening, the Ratcliffe family 
had a Frozen 2 dance party with friends from across the country through video conferencing. What else do you do on a Saturday night of social distancing? I don't know. The songs of Frozen 2 actually have quite a lot to say in the midst of a pandemic. After all, we are venturing into the unknown. But one song stood out to me in the midst of sermon editing. In the midst of an incomprehensible loss, Princess Anna sings these words. I won't look too far ahead. It's too much for me to take. But break it down to this next breath. This next step, this next choice is one that I can make. So I'll walk through this night, stumbling blindly toward the light, and do the next right thing. And with it done, what comes then, when it's clear that everything will never be the same again? Then I'll make the choice to hear that voice and do the next right thing. Even in the midst of our fear, we can choose the next right thing. We can choose that which will be redemptive, that which is centered in God's love. There are times when the next right thing is crystal clear. We can choose to stay home whenever possible to protect those who are most vulnerable and those who do the hard work of healing. We can gather online to worship with our family of faith. We can check on those whom we know are the most isolated and give what we can to the organizations that are meeting the needs of those who are most vulnerable. We can refrain from hoarding toilet paper or bottled water or hand sanitizer so that everyone has what they need. We can name our fears and our worries and help each other carry them in prayer. In the midst of our fear, we can choose the next right thing. But sometimes, and especially in the midst of all the things we've never done before that we are doing now, the next right thing is not as clear. I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Concerning Jesus' words here, my friend, Barbara Brown Taylor says, I always heard that as a threatening judgment, but now it sounds more promising to me. At the very least, it makes me wonder how seeing has made me blind by giving me cheap confidence that one quick glance at things can tell me what they are by distracting me from learning how the light inside me works, by fooling me into thinking that I have a clear view of how things really are, of where the road leads, of who can see rightly and who cannot. I'm not asking to become blind, but I have become a believer. There is a light that shines in the darkness, which is only visible there. 
In these difficult days, we must learn to look for the light that shines in the darkness. It is a costly sight, and it is the sight that bears the fruit of light, that which, uh, that which is good and right and true. It is a sight that creates tension, a sight that is not always black and white. It is the sight that comes on the other side of the deconstruction, on the other side of the diagnosis, on the other side of the accident, the death, the pandemic, on the other side of the thing that we did not get to go around. Difficult days make me long for the clarity of the faith of my youth, but they also show me how much I need the deep mystery of the faith which has been created from its deconstruction. I am thankful for the realignment that came from the pain. Jesus realigns our vision so that we might hold the tension between what we see and what is unseen. Before, after, and in the midst of a pandemic, we all have moments where the next right thing may not be clear. And we know that love, not fear, will guide us. We are walking the Lenten path, the path which begins with dust on our foreheads and a reminder of our death. And today is a Sunday, a mini Easter, a day for celebration. The reminder of our death has been made all the more real this Lenten season, and our hope is ever before us. We are cross-formed people and resurrection people. We can hold the tension. Jesus spat in the dust and made mud with his saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Then the man went and washed and came back able to see. In the best of times, those words from John 9 make me cringe. In the shadow of COVID-19, the description of Jesus' actions sends me looking for a hazmat suit. But even in all of its cringeworthiness, I am drawn to the idea that Jesus brings about something beautiful from the mud. John scholar Caroline Lewis says that we shouldn't read John 9 without also reading John 10. I thought you might turn off your live stream or get up and leave if we read John 10 aloud too. But there, Caroline says, Jesus reiterates that those who know him, his sheep, hear his voice and follow him. And knowing in the Gospel of John articulates relationship. The man born blind is more than one whom Jesus heals. He is one of Jesus' sheep and a member of the fold. The light of the world uses mud to show the man born blind that he is the good shepherd, the one who leads us in right paths and walks beside us, the one who restores our soul, the one who prepares our table 
and causes goodness and mercy to flow. The one whom the man born blind calls Lord. Brother Richard Hendrick, a priest in Ireland, penned these words last week in a poem titled Lockdown. All over the world, people are waking up to a new reality, to how big we really are, to how little control we really have, to what really matters, to love. So we pray and we remember that yes, there is fear, but there does not have to be hate. Yes, there is isolation, but there does not have to be loneliness. Yes, there is panic buying, but there does not have to be meanness. Yes, there is sickness, but there does not have to be disease of the soul. Yes, there is even death, but there can always be a rebirth of love. Dear family of faith, we do not walk alone, even when we are more isolated than ever before. The light of the world walks with us, calling forth the light in us so that we might hold the tension, recognizing our fear and choosing love. We may be forced to live in the shadow of COVID-19, but we can still choose to dwell in the shadow of the Almighty, to dwell in the house of the Lord our whole life long. Amen. Having heard this strong, clear, and true gospel word this morning, we come now to our time of response, a response to the call and encouragement to do the next right thing wherever we are and however we are in this moment. So during this time of response, we invite all of us within these walls and beyond these walls to give ourselves to responding to that clear, true call. As we prepare to sing our recessional hymn, have the benediction, and bring to a close this hour of worship, uh, Leslie, we all want to thank you. We're deeply in your debt. We have 
heard today the words uh, that we all most needed to hear. We didn't know what words we needed to hear until we heard them, but now we know and we thank you. This week, our deacon officers and ministers will meet to evaluate uh, some of the practicalities of our present moment. If you uh, are on the uh, Northminster Family of Faith email list, uh, you received an email this week from the church which uh, shared with you the decision of our deacons last Sunday evening that uh, we would suspend all gatherings here at the church through uh, Sunday, April 5th, Palm Sunday. So our deacon officers and ministers will meet uh, tomorrow afternoon to assess where things are, to think about uh, what life might look like beyond that April 5th uh, moment, and uh, you can watch uh, for further communications from the church in the coming days uh, concerning how things might unfold uh, beyond uh, Palm Sunday. Uh, so please be uh, vigilant about checking your, uh, your email, and if you see something from Northminster, please uh, open it and, and read it, and we will all do our best to stay in contact with one another, and as you learn of needs, please a call or email the church office. Uh, we are doing our best within the boundaries of wisdom and responsibility to stay in touch with uh, those who are most in need of contacts and help. So please help us to do that by calling or emailing the church office.
go from this place to all of your other places, resting yourselves in the love of God, casting your cares upon the grace of God, and placing your lives in the hands of God, the hands that will hold you and never let you go. Amen.